I'm Ted Seides, and this is Private Equity Deals. Middle market businesses are where the real action takes place. Around 200,000 businesses in the United States fall into the middle market size range, generally defined as generating revenue between $25 million and a billion dollars. These businesses collectively employ 50 million people, or almost a third of the U.S. workforce, and represent two-thirds of total U.S. private equity deal value. Big deals may grab the big headlines, but a lot of action in the economy and private equity industry takes place in the universe of middle market businesses. Season one of Private Equity Deals shared deals from eight well-known GPs. In season two, we discussed eight well-known companies bought by private equity firms. We can't begin to cover the massive middle market in just eight deals, but in season three, you'll get a tiny sliver of what the middle market is all about. All opinions expressed by Ted and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of capital allocators or their respective firms. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Clients of capital allocators or guests may maintain positions in securities or managers discussed on this podcast. On episode six of season three of Private Equity Deals, Rich Caputo and Eric Fagan discussed the Jordan Company's investment in Silvis. Rich is the chairman and chief executive partner, and Eric, the co-head of Diversified Industrials at the Jordan Company, a private equity firm founded in 1982 by Jay Jordan that manages $23 billion. Silvis develops and manufactures mobile communications data links primarily used in law enforcement, unmanned systems, tactical, and other applications to facilitate data communication in harsh environments without needing fixed infrastructure. Our conversation covers the sourcing, diligence, and purchase of Silvis, work with the management team, special characteristics of culture, and lessons learned. Please enjoy my conversation with Rich Caputo and Eric Fagan. Rich, Eric, great to see you. You too. Great to see you. So, Rich, why don't we start with a background of Jordan Company? We were founded in February 1982 by Jay Jordan. Jay is a, really a legend in the business, really one of the first players in the middle market. Really started in the mid-70s at a firm called Karl Marx with Joe Steinberg and Ian Cumming, who went on to found Lucadia, which is now Jeffries. Lucadia was a backer of us back then. We grew up in the era of low equity and really, really high leverage back in the days when you roll in a fee to get your equity and be able to borrow more than 100% of the purchase price. That was a very good day to be in the business. I joined in 1990. I came out of an investment banking program. I was at a place called Prudential Beige, which doesn't exist anymore. You'd remember it. Eric, I don't think it lasted <laughs> your foray into investment banking, but it was a great place to be. I learned a lot, had a lot of great mentors there and came to Jordan in 1990, became the CEO in 2012. And we've really gone on a great run for over 40 years and have really focused during that entire time on the middle market in the U.S. We do things that are more brick and mortar, more industrial, service-related, logistics, supply chain. But when you do look in our portfolio, there's a lot of technology-related businesses because today you're not going to prevail in any of those industries unless you're a, a technological leader. 
a lot of the stuff Eric's done in the industrial sector has been exactly that. Okay, well, we're going to dive into Silvis, and why don't you give a description of the company? Silvis provides mesh networking solutions that allow their customers to communicate without connecting to fixed infrastructure. So they design hardware. So their hardware, it looks like a radio or a data link. And that data link allows their customers to transmit live streaming video, data, voice in really difficult environments. So use cases in customers would be robotics and markets, unmanned ships or aircraft, firefighters, law enforcement, broadcasting. They've been on the back of the Super Bowl camera for the last five years. Areas where it's critical that you have continuous feed. We've all been in a tunnel or driving down Park Avenue and not been able to communicate. And I think as the world become more complex, that's where the use cases for Silvis have really expanded. And that's the most critical applications is where they're trying to play. And Rich, what made this a fit for you guys? I give Eric a ton of credit because first, when you see a deal and you focus on why it's not a fit, particularly before you're going to investment committee or before you're investing a lot of time and resources in it. And when the deal came in, it was very interesting from a growth and technological standpoint, but it was small. And it was definitely on the smaller side of what we would normally do, but certainly within the range of an area that we would pursue something. In the conclusion that we really came to, and again, so much of the credit goes to Eric because there's no way we get there without his conviction and without his understanding of the growth and the opportunity. But we really saw, man, this is right in the sweet spot of being our kind of deal. It was a business that had great megatrends supporting its growth. It had a great market position in what it was doing, but it needed help. It was far from perfect. It had a founder and a CEO who was brilliant and extremely collaborative, who actually chose to do a deal with us where he was going to retain a significant piece of the equity rather than go it on his own and sell to a strategic, which he was very close to doing. The other thing is we're real big as a firm on culture. I know a lot of people talk about it, but we have never hired a partner. Every single partner here has been developed internally. We've never lost a partner other than to retirement. We have 23 partners. All of them are owners in the management company. And so when we looked at Silvis, we saw this business that had the exact same philosophy, the exact same ownership structure. And today we made every single employee of Silvis an owner in the company, which I think is pretty rare in our industry. So that culture, that opportunity to really build a lot of value, help them build the business with a partner and a CEO who was extremely collaborative and again, really just a visionary in his industry, just made it right in the wheelhouse for us. Eric, how did you find this deal? Silvis was founded in 2004 by the current CEO for 10 or 11 years, used R&D funding to develop. I talked about the hardware, but really the special part of Silvis is their waveform, the software that allows the device to communicate. He had commercialized a product in 2011, 2012, started to get real revenue in 2016, 2017, and went out to look for a partner in 2018. And so that was his lens. We had had a very good relationship with a small investment bank, and we had done a transaction with them a couple of years before, and they brought us this transaction. It was a strategic-only process. They only went out to strategics. We were able to get in through a portfolio company of ours, ACR Electronics, and that was really how we got started. 
How do you navigate a process to buy a company when strategics are only invited in and you're only invited in because of your existing portfolio company? Yeah, that's a great question. We started with the management team. Rich talked about it, right? Culture. When we start to evaluate an opportunity, we think about the markets and we talked about how we believed in those markets. We talked about some of the company attributes, but we think about structure, transaction structure. And we thought if we could see the obsession with this management team, how much they believed in it, and they thought they needed a strategic to get to where they wanted to go. And we spent our time trying to convince them that they didn't need a strategic, that we could be that strategic. We could provide the financial support. We could provide the operational support and they could continue to own the business and run it like they always have. And that was our differentiator throughout the process, trying to prove that out. How does the nature of your relationship with the banker change when they bring you in because you're a strategic and you're back-ending saying you don't need a strategic and the banker's probably instructed to only bring in strategics? How do you navigate conflicts? Rich talked about the industrial tech deals that we've been doing. For the last 10 years, when we go out and market, we've done seven or eight platforms. We've done over 40 add-ons to those companies. And so we knew this banker very well. We had had a deal two years before that we bought into ACR where we had lost and the strategic had fallen down and we had come back and done everything we said we would do when we had closed. In this case, it was a little bit of a shift in how we were thinking about it, but I think he understood that what we were proposing made a lot of sense for the team too. We could have gone down the road to pursue it as a strategic investment. We came to the conclusion that we could offer the seller a more compelling package by doing it as a recap, doing it as a standalone deal, because we weren't going to pay really a higher multiple as a strategic buyer. And we felt we could deliver the exact same type of value as a standalone. So I think from the banker's standpoint, we actually helped them get a deal done because we did provide that flexibility to go in either direction and provide that differentiation. I'm curious how you tackle diligence when you start with basic type of business, but there's this technology aspect of this that sounds really important in making sure the software works and the hardware works. How did you go through that process? It started with ACR. So ACR is a satellite communication device business. So if you're on a boat, make sure there's an ACR, a floatable electronic device on an airplane for government personnel. Their products are used to locate and initiate rescues around the world. And so we bought that business in 2014. We'd done 11 acquisitions. And by the time 2018 came around, we had conviction in really two things. One, we understood satellite communications, but we knew there were gaps. There was areas where there weren't coverage through satellites, there weren't coverage through cell towers. And two, we knew that global connectivity, this desire to communicate data, find people, connect, was growing rapidly. And that's the lens we went into Silvis with. We said, this is a solution that fits the needs in the market today at the same time that the market is growing quite quickly. And so we were able to use that engineering team to validate the technology, to validate the customer relationships. And that's how we start. From there, we were able to see the things in Silvis in terms of growing customers, growing end markets, growing applications. It was a disruptive technology. When you start to see that adoption, that's when you really can get excited. Mentioning that the management team was just excellent, outstanding management team. What goes into that assessment to determine, oh, this is a great management team? There's private equity firms that will give psychological evaluations of those executives. I think for us, it's spending as much time as we possibly can. We probably went out and saw that management team five times before we signed the deal. And it's 
understanding what's important to them, how they treat the employees, how they're going to work with us, and then get outside validation for that. You know, get references and talk to customers that have spent time with them. That's lost a lot in some of the analysis of the person is just how you're going to get along with them personally. How do you marry that qualitative assessment with any quantitative history of the business and trying to figure out if what you saw in the past is likely to continue going forward? The Silvis executive team, and it's similar to some of our other investments in a flight, they had built great teams. Bob Ekin had gotten a group of engineers and scientists together in 2004, and a huge amount of that employee base was still there when we did the transaction. is still there today when we've tripled the size of the employee base of that company. And so you want to look at the longevity, you want to look at the depth of those different departments. Do they have engineering covered? Do they have operations covered? Do they have the R&D team covered? Do they have sales covered? If that's someone that's been at the company a long time, has built a really successful team beneath them, and we can go out and validate that through customer checks and industry checks as well, that's really sort of how we come to that assessment. I also think we've evolved a lot. We have really, I don't want to say changed the way we do business, but we have improved the way we do business. And I think one area where we have really improved is our partner evaluation when we think about partnering with management teams. And it's because we have basically one trait in a management team that we place a premium on beyond, I think, what anybody else in our industry does. And that is the collaboration and the coachability of that partner. If we don't have that, if we don't see that in that partner, if we don't see someone who embraces that team culture, which is so important to us, it's not gonna be someone we're gonna partner with anymore. We used to do those deals. We're not gonna do it, no matter how good the historical operating track record is. We just won't do it because we have found, been around for 42 years, we've got tons of data that the companies with the best cultures, the companies with the most collaborative management teams outperform. That's just the reality. So that is something we really focus on. And so meeting the management team, meeting with Bobak five times, talking to him numerous times on the phone, you get a read, you get an understanding. And Eric, during the diligence, made that point. And actually, Bobak came in here and presented to all of us. And it was clear, hey, I want to be your partner. I want your help. I want your help to build this thing. That's a dream for us to hear. So as you dove in to do the diligence, the founder CEO had said they wanted help to get to the next level. You saw some gaps. What did you see as the big opportunity of what made this an attractive deal in addition to the industry trends and tailwinds you saw? It started with the team. Sometimes you find founder-backed businesses that haven't built out a full team or not are always the easiest partners to work with. I think this was a team of people that had the same culture as us. Between ownership, they were the hardest working group of people I've ever come across. They were obsessed with how can we make our technology to help our customers? That's their mission is the people that keep us safe, we need them to have reliable communications. And that's what they cared about. And so when we thought about how can we help, it was what do they think they need help with? Sometimes they think, okay, a strategic is going to provide money or manufacturing capacity or customer relationships, things like that. And I think we got in there and really made a determination that 
They were a really good team. They just needed to have a few more positions. So we helped them bring in a CFO after close. We helped to bring in an operating officer. We helped them to expand their facility. They had an outsourced manufacturing model, but helped them understand they could do this. They had a scalable business model. Our whole approach is about adding value. Every investment we're getting into, we want to be able to add value. So we have our own in-house operations group who works in everything we do. And so for an asset like this, where you have this great growth, this company that's maybe in the bottom half of the first inning, it's past venture, but it's maybe a little short a buyout. And we can really go in, help them upgrade the team, help put the management controls in place, help them put the infrastructure in place and help them become more efficient in what they do because they've been so focused on growing the business and designing these products that they haven't really focused on the, the blocking and tackling areas, which we can really come in and help them with. What did you see as some of the biggest risks in the deal? It was a young company from a commercialization standpoint. I think that was important to really validate, could they make this engineering culture and this engineering history into a company that can really grow sales? And I think once we were able to use the ACR engineering team to help us validate the technology, we felt really good about the place in the market. The interesting thing about this is we lost this deal. We did all of this diligence and we did see the customer base growing. We did see different markets because there's so much disruption in these markets. You think about where they're playing. We saw an example the other day where there's a space balloon using a Silvis data link to stream video up from low earth orbit space, just a market that didn't exist years ago. And so we were seeing all the things you want to see. We were able to validate the technology, but it was still a company going through a leap and an inflection point at that exact time. And we lost the deal. It was preempted by a strategic. Take me from the beginning before you lost the deal. You've done your diligence. You're now engaging. What happened in the deal process? There was a check-in bid. We made sure to clarify that it wasn't a final bid and we had been working through our diligence. And it was after that submission that we found out that they'd gone exclusive with a strategic. It was Halloween 2018 when Baba gave me a call to let me know that. And that was a tough day. So when you saw the Grim Reaper, yeah. <laughs> what'd you do? <laughs> I said, we'll be coming out of the ground in 60 or 90 days whenever your exclusivity is up. No, it's tough. I'm a baseball fan. We have tough batting averages and it was a tough day. I think you know, I called him on the 60th day. He didn't answer. Yeah, I figured the exclusivity was 60 or 90 days. I called him on the 90th day and he picked up. From that point, we were able to get a dialogue going again. He came back and said, if you're willing to honor the price you were at three or four months ago, I'm willing to make a change. I've had a change of heart. I want to do the deal with you guys. And I think that allowed us to see another three to six months of data, the same sample set continuing. Everything that the management team was telling us continued. More customers, more growth, customers buying more, more applications, more geographies. And I think that's what really gave us the conviction. He wanted to do this deal with us. The team wanted to do this deal and we we're able to get it back, start to finish probably a full year. What went wrong in those 90 days? Bob Eck had a change of heart. He had told me later that they had a vote. It was four to three. And he was in the three. And I think that the strategic probably did a few things wrong. And I think they probably also believed that what we said was true, that they could really participate in this business growing over the next five years. And, and as they continue to see that growth, that was probably really exciting for them. What did this business look like in just terms of the economic metrics that you can share when you went and bought it? It was a little bit north of 10 million in EBITDA at the time we purchased it. That was a big increase over the prior couple of years. And what kind of multiple do you have to pay for a growing business like that? 
when we originally bid, which was about six or nine months before we closed, it was low double digit EBITDA multiple at the time. Part of our philosophy when we play in that size range is it's got to have great growth dynamics. It's got to have an ability for us to really help out. It's got to have an acquisition opportunity, but it's also got to work without any leverage, okay? Because they're riskier businesses. They're prone to maybe hitting some growing pains, not really performance or industry-driven, but when you're building up a team, you're going to build up your expenses, you're going to put a drain on cash flow. And so we just feel the prudent approach on those deals is not to use any leverage, which was the case here. So once you finish the deal, love to hear what your game plan was with Silvis. When we approach a deal, we want to lay out objectives with that management team. We thought that this was a great management team. We thought that they needed a couple of positions. Rich talked about our operations group. We thought we could help them in terms of procurement, looking through all the parts that they buy, making sure they had good second source suppliers, making sure they had good consistency of supply. And so we helped on that lens as well. And then really just helping them map out a strategy. What markets were they in today? What markets did they want to be in? How could they get deeper within those markets? How could they grow their sales? Because it was a business that they only had a couple of salespeople. You know, they were getting orders over the website. And that was what was missing. When the customer got the product in their hand and tested the technology, when they were able to demo the technology, that they were converting that customer. So what did that process look like from seeing, okay, they only have a couple of salespeople, they're responding to having a fully baked sales team that could really drive growth? Market adoption is a slow thing and then it happens all at once. I think it was about prioritizing where they were spending their time. They came up with a loaner programs where they would actually loan out the product to customers to say, give this a shot. And I think it was, as we talked about, the market was exploding at the same time they were really commercializing this technology. It's been a constant evolution. I will say today, we continue to push them on growing that sales team and pushing into new markets and continuing to get deeper with customers, continuing to win big programs with their customers. It's been a fun ride. What are some of the current operational initiatives you have in place to continue to expand the capabilities of the business? Well, today they're doubling their manufacturing and their facility footprint. That's the big one. We have a great team in place. They've got great processes in place. And so there's not huge operational initiatives right now. This team is constantly trying to get better. And I think we've got monthly operating board meetings. We've got quarterly board meetings. So we're talking about these types of things. But it's more of the same for Silvis right now, just trying to advance the technology and also increase the capacity to meet the customer's needs. How do the changes in, say, the capital market environment, you know, rates, equity market, comps, things like that, that have shifted significantly in your period of ownership of this business, affect how you're thinking about it, how Babak is thinking about the business? It's actually gotten better. The demand for these products, when you think about the geopolitical friction that's happened, when you think about any sort of uncertainty in business, the potential strategic businesses that are in this industry or potential acquirers for this asset have just seen their values perform better since we bought it. So the story here has gotten better. Since we don't really lean on the capital markets and we're not relying upon constant leverage or dividend recaps to make this thing work. We don't care. We actually have cash in the balance sheet. So the higher interest rate is good for these yeah. guys. So as you then roll forward 
you've done both on acquisitions. How did you think about that with Silvis? We came up with an acquisition spec right after close, which we do with all of our acquisitions. These are the types of technologies and customers and markets you know, that we're looking to penetrate into. And I think fast forward a year, we started to really narrow that search. We started to understand how special what Silvis was doing in the market was. And we were really mindful of keeping Silvis as a pure play provider and not adding on companies just to add on companies, even if they had overlapping customers or markets. And so we're able to find one acquisition, which was a spectrum management business, a business that used both hardware and software to analyze electromagnetic spectrum and use the Silvis product in that process. That's been a huge successful acquisition. And we've probably looked at 50 other acquisitions in the last four or five years. We're still looking at acquisitions, but it's got to be something that makes Silvis better for its customers. And I think that's something that's very important to them and very important to us. It's not a merchant supplier that we want to add a lot of other products to. We want it to be very specialized in terms of what they provide. With that one acquisition and then other potential targets, how do you think about the levers of value accretion? price, growth, synergies, and maybe use that one as an example. That was actually a neat acquisition because it was owned by a venture capital fund and management at that point didn't own that much of the deal anymore. And we were able to put together a multi-year plan for that management team to almost get back some ownership. And we think about, is this going to make our company better? When we ultimately exit the company, is this going to make us a stronger story, more compelling story for our customers, for potential buyers? And so we were able to structure that deal the same way we structured Silvis. It was an all equity deal. There was equity ownership for the team that came with the deal. And so we felt like we were able to protect our downside in the transaction and also give some of that upside back to the employees as we earned it, but ultimately to make the business better together. How do you think about financing the combined business? It was important to Bobek that we didn't put third-party debt on the business. It was important to us because we wanted to focus on organic growth. We wanted to focus on acquisitions. And some of these younger, smaller companies can be a little bit more lumpy in their performance, and we didn't want to be in that position. So we went out with all equity about a year and a half later when we completed the acquisition. We did a financing. We put two times leverage on the business. That's down to zero today, just from cash flow. And that's the way we thought about it. And it took some convincing with the team that this was an appropriate level of debt to put on at the time of the acquisition. Every deal has bumps in the road along the way. I'd love to hear where some of the sailing wasn't as smooth in this deal. I think by a deal in 2019, we're in COVID not too long after and dealing with a culture that had been together in the office every day. That was something we dealt with, obviously, in all of our portfolios. But that was very important to Bobek was having that group of employees and engineers that were developing the technology to be in place. You know, they had really made their reputation on being out in the field with their customers, demonstrating their technology. This works at the edge of communities. It works on mobile environments, and you need to be on site to be able to do that. These are systems that have many, many components, and all of a sudden it, it became very difficult to find certain components. And so lead time stretched out. And I think that's where everything Rich said, having a CEO that's collaborative, that's willing to listen, that's strategic, is looking at what's around the corner, but also is very much in the weeds. That's so critical. I mean, I think this has not been all smooth sailing. No deal is, but I think it's been that relationship 
with Bobek and his team that have made even those difficult conversations, you know, sort of looking back now fondly on those. So you've paid off the debt. There's all kinds of things. You could do a dividend recap. You can look at other acquisitions. What's the strategy from here going up? The strategy is more of the same. This is a company we're more excited about today than the day we invested in it. And so I think when you look at where they are today, not only have they provided more versions of their hardware, so their hardware has gotten smaller and it's gotten different types of form factors, but what they've done with the waveform, what they've done with other software license applications for that product is what's really separated them in the market. So they've got different software packages if you're in a market with huge interference. An example would be like the inauguration. You've got parks department, you've got police department, you've got people on helicopters, you've got all these different broadcasters, all these different types of communication happening at the exact same concentrated event, and there's too much congestion. And so you need to be able to frequency hop, you need to be able to have non-line-of-sight communications, all these different things. And so they've got software applications for those types of specific needs. And that's really what they've advanced over the last four years. And that's what gets us even more excited about it. It's not a box or radio that they sell. It's what's inside of that. It's also been a deal that you're lucky when you find these in your portfolio. We don't want to lever recap it because we know our management partners don't really care to do that. They don't need the money. And even on an unlevered basis, like Eric said, it's been more of the same. And every time we contemplate exit, you know, we'll sit there and say, well, what is this really going to look like if we hang in for another year? And you don't want to get greedy and you don't want to take it too far. But the business today is impressive. Its backlog is impressive. So the predictability of where we're going, we have more visibility on this business than we ever had. And next year we'll have even more, but all good things will come to an end and someday we'll move on. It's a great story because here it started as this small unlevered investment in a recap that Eric had to really reel back in several times. On top of that, really had the vision to sell the deal and promote the deal internally to get it done. Otherwise it never happens. What could go wrong? Technology changes fast. That's one of the things that we're most proud of in this Silvis team. It's an engineering-led culture. They're focused continually on R&D. They're focused about not what the customer's problem is today, but what's the customer's problem in five or six years. That allows us to sleep at night, advance, continuing to stay ahead on the technology side. But things do change. I think that's something we, when we're evaluating acquisition opportunities. You, know, you always got to worry about that. When you've had this success and you've owned it for a bunch of years, there's always this question of the exit. This sounds like the kind of asset that the original model of the continuation fund dreamed about, the kind of company you like to own for a long time, whatever's happened with continuation funds, good and bad since. How do you think about your strategy from here? Our strategy from day one was how do we get their products in more people's hands? And the company's done a great job of mapping out the end markets. We've been fortunate in the sense that there's been this desire to communicate at the edge and all these different environments has just increased. We continue to push that and we don't feel like we're there. I think we're still seeing the reputation of Silvis really start to be recognized in the market and starting to see the customers that we've had a long time buying in much greater quantities. And I think that's what we're focused on is really 
having them be validated as the market leader on the technology side. And Rich always says, you can't plan the exit. You can't plan who's going to buy the business someday. But if you build a great business, if it's got great technology, great management team, great financial profile, you're going to have a lot of options. I think it's our hope that whoever the next owner is will continue to try to get the product in as many people's hands as possible. How do you think about when your clock starts ticking to 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and you know you're turning into a pumpkin at midnight because maybe the fun life's over, you just have to do something strategic? We're not there, clearly, with this investment or with the fund that this investment's in. We unfortunately can't own everything forever. Even with the advent of the continuation funds, which we haven't done any single asset continuation funds, we're eventually going to have to find another home for this business. And when we do make that decision, it's going to be 100% collaborative and collective with Bobic and the management team. They've been unbelievable partners. And usually what we have seen in, in our experience is a lot of times that's who drives the move to push to exit. So we're having a great time with this business. We're certainly not going to wait till it doesn't look like the world's going to be good anymore to do it. We have an immense amount of inbound interest in this asset. We're going to continue to plug away and grow it. And my guess is we're going to end up having the management team and come in and say, hey, let's sit down and, and find another home. But to Eric's point, find a home where we have a lot of certainty that the next owner of this business is going to keep investing in it and keep growing it and keep developing the technology because that's been the key to their success. And that'll be a critical component for the management as well. And they're all owners in this business. So they have a vested interest in not only seeing a transaction be successful, but in making sure they do get a good home because they're going to want to continue to see their customers succeed and the business succeed moving forward. You mentioned that everyone at Silvis owns a piece of the company. And I'm curious what you've seen across your portfolio companies of the situations where you do have that broad ownership compared to probably the management team has ownership. Businesses that have broader ownership perform better. I think a big reason of that is you incent people the right way, they're going to perform the right way. But I actually think what it is more so, it's, it's a reflection of the company's culture. The companies that have that collaborative culture, the companies that have that team mentality, they're the ones who spread the ownership more. And so I think that has as much to do with it as the ownership itself. But that's something we've done for decades. It's been a big part of what we think is important in deals, and it aligns exactly with the same way we run our business. What have been your biggest lessons learned from the deal? Be flexible. When you think about these markets, I think back to when we originally got the deal, and we knew there was disruption going on in these markets, and we knew smaller companies been, we're going to be part of that solution. And it's making sure that you're prepared to evaluate those opportunities quickly, be prepared to find out who the innovators are going to be and make sure we've got the structure to help them and win those kinds of transactions because we almost lost it. I'd say the biggest lesson that I've learned is gap in between VC 
and buyout. People call it the area that the growth investors say they're investing in, but they're not investing in these assets. These are industrial technologies. This is an area where we see them at all for good reason. You got to have a knowledge base to really get in there. You have to have a connection base. You have to know who those bankers are. You have to know who the industry players are. And we've seen there's a real opportunity in this space. And it's led to us doing other deals here. I think that lesson learned is a lot of credit goes to Eric on this is when we have one of our partners really dig in and understand a sector like Eric has in just this general connectivity sector and develop a thesis, almost regardless of size, if that conviction's there and that belief that we can take this $100, $200 million enterprise value deal to a billion plus, we're going to lean in. And I think that's the real lesson. I think that's just going to be a continuation of our evolution as a firm and the types of deals we do. And I think we also all like these deals because in today's market where leverage is more expensive, it's more difficult to get, we're doing these as all equity deals. We're doing them as businesses that are really starting out as maybe a platform, but more we're making that investment because we see these mega trends driving these businesses to really compelling places, knowing that they're at a stage in their development where they really need our block and tackling, our operational help. So we're a real good match with that. That's been the big lesson learned that's really made us a lot better as a firm. When you look at our portfolio to now, we have this bench of executives and talent in these markets, which is really exciting. ACR really led us to Silvis, and Silvis led us to our in-flight investment, which was a partnership deal. And those transactions led us to really build up the intercore business model. And now to be able to get those executives, we do a quarterly summit where we can talk about staffing or engineering resources or other issues those businesses are going through. And we get the next deal. We go in and talk to a founder about what we've done with some of these other deals and bring some of these executives. That's really powerful. And it gives us an edge as we look at those type of transactions. I have one last question for both of you, which is what is your favorite aspect of private equity? I would say it's partnering with the management teams and employees. In a deal like Silvis, every employee at the time of the transaction was an owner. And so to see their obsession with the company succeeding, the product performing for their customers, the impact that that has on society in their markets, and then at the same time seeing our investors rewarded for that, I think that to me is just when this magic and works for all sides. And that's really exciting to be part of. A hundred percent agree with that. The only thing that I would really add is, man, I love what I do. I love it because I love these people. I love Eric. We're very close. I love our partners. I love all our principals, our VPs, our associates. We're just blessed to have a great group. And on top of that, we have these great partners who run these businesses for us. And the thing is, you look back at the pandemic and what we went through. Yeah, that was one thing. Man, what those folks went through and having to run these businesses and having to deal with real issues and risk when the uncertainty was very real. These weren't people who were able to stay home and get DoorDash to deliver things to them. And they, they were on the front lines. I was blown away. And if we don't have partners like that, and we don't have people like we have working here, we just couldn't do what we do. And on top of that, we have great investors who give us a lot of input. And I like it. We get better. Every time we do a fundraise, every time we go and talk to them, we learn a lot. The people in this business, the people at our firm, 
people at the companies we're invested in, our investors, they're great people and we're blessed for that. Rich, Eric, thanks so much for sharing this story, Silvis. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, hop on our website at capitalallocators.com where you can access past shows, join our mailing list, and sign up for premium content. Have a good one and see you next time. 